is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. New variant has arrived. Omicron, first detected in South Africa, but it's since gone around the world. UN says the global risk is very high. President Biden says there's a reason for concern, but not panic. Is this really a super mutant variant or something we don't have to actually worry about? Concern is growing that the variant could evade the vaccines, but how likely is that? Travel restrictions imposed, but do those actually work? And what about the COVID treatments coming out? Can they stop Omicron. We start with the basics of the variants. Dr. Kartik Chandran is a virologist and microbiologist at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. So, doctor, do you agree with the president? Um, we shouldn't panic? Yeah, I, I do agree with that. Um, there's a lot of data coming in, um, really quite thick and fast now, but it doesn't add up to a clear picture yet in terms of how concerned we ought to be. So I think that that statement, you know, be concerned, but don't panic is well calibrated. I mean, even from a scientific standpoint, because even a scientist would really try and understand the implications and it will not be clear for some, a few weeks at least. Okay, and what is starting off the concern? Because we've had other variants. We've had Mu, we've had Delta Plus, and we didn't do so much for all of those. So what makes this one maybe different? Right, so the thing that's that's different about this you know, relative to a lot of the other variants that we've seen so far is just the degree to which it's mutated. Um, so there's a lot more mutations than, um, than Delta even. Um, and in fact, you know, its origin is somewhat different. We don't actually completely understand exactly where it came from. I mean, it, it didn't originate from Delta and become something else. You know, it's sort of a different evolutionary branch of the, the tree of this virus. So, you know, just the number of the sheer number of mutations and diversity of mutations is greater than anything we've seen in the past. A number of the mutations in the spike protein, um, which is the the main target of the monoclonal antibodies, for example, um, you know, really does suggest that, um, you know, this virus is more likely to be resistant to certain antibodies than any of the preceding variants. So that's really the source of the concern. The other piece of this is, the limited data that we have from South Africa so far really suggests that this virus may, and I stress the may part because we don't know for sure yet, but this virus may have a transmission advantage over existing variants, which would allow it to spread very rapidly through the population, just like Delta did, and kind of pushed away all, you know, sort of knocked out all the other viruses and sort of took over. So there is a possibility based on the limited data we have so far from South Africa that this could happen again. Now, uh, am I correct, doctor, that even if it is true that uh, this uh, virus can possibly spread uh, with more efficiency, that is not necessarily it is not necessarily the case that it will be a more uh, severe or pernicious virus in the way it's manifested in in people. Is that right? Yes, that that's totally true. Uh, We have no information right now about whether it's um, in the parlance of virology more virulent, which means more likely to cause disease. Um, you know, and we, you know, we suspect that it's probably more transmissible, but that also is, is so far still just an educated guess. Um, the virus could be more transmissible without being more, uh, more disease causing or more likely to cause severe disease. 
Um, although it's also possible that both are true. And it's also possible the virus may cause less disease, right? Like, so we don't actually know because ultimately when you look at it from the perspective of the virus, the virus's goal is to grow and spread and causing this like severe disease in people that causes them to be hospitalized is really sort of a collateral effect of the virus infection. It, it doesn't really benefit the virus directly because you know once a person's in, at that level of illness, they're actually not shedding virus anymore. So as far as the virus is concerned, it's already popped off to the next person. And whatever happens in the person that's already infected, you know, I'm, I'm, teleo, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, personalizing right. the virus, but you know but, you what know, I mean? Yeah, but, but so, so, yeah, this sort of disease causing potential the virus could go in either direction or it could stay the same. Well, and, and that raises the question from an evolutionary point of view. Wouldn't it be mm-hmm. the case that as a virus, any virus, as it mutates, mm-hmm. uh, isn't it then more likely, based on what you were just saying, that it would become more benign toward its human host? Um, it's actually, so there is an idea that that could be the case, and it certainly seems to play out that way sometimes, but there, there are many counterexamples to that idea, because again, it really, what can happen is that the ability of the virus to cause disease can be directly connected to its ability to spread, and in those cases, you know, you do see those two couples, but on the other hand, if the ability to spread and the ability to cause disease are sort of decoupled, then you know, really anything could happen, right? Like it, there are no real rules uh, saying that the virus needs to become less virulent as, as it spreads from person to person if the virus can spread from person to person before anybody is really sick, right? What happens afterwards is at some level, uh, you know, is not of any consequence to the virus. Let me ask you a question, doctor, that I've heard people in the past few days since the news of this variant uh, has come out ask. The question is, are we, in the end, are we going to potentially be back to where we were at the beginning of the pandemic? Yes, we've got treatments. Yes, we've got the vaccine. But if it turns out that this variant is significantly different and does evade the vaccines and does thwart whatever limited therapeutics that are now on the market or at least available, are we back to where we were? Um, I mean, those are a lot of ifs. Um, I would say that um, given that, you know, we, you know, the vaccines work in multiple ways, not just with antibodies against spike protein. I think it's very likely that, you know, we might, I mean, it's possible, we'll know soon, hopefully, but it's possible we may see some degradation in protection with the vaccine. But again, you know, the main purpose of the vaccine is to protect people from hospitals, severe illness and death. And I think it's likely that just as the vaccines, you know, which remember were made against the original, uh, the, the original strain of the virus going back to early 2020, they still protect people from hospitalization and, and death against Delta, right? So it's, it's quite possible, if not likely, probably, I would say it's likely that, you know, we're still going to see considerable protection against Omicron, even, in, you know, in the, vac- in the people that have been vaccinated already, especially if they're able to get boosted to boost their sort of levels of antibodies. So, um, you know, again, that's the purpose of the vaccine. I think it'll still continue to work. We may, it might, we might lose some activity around the edges, but I think it's not like it's going to go to zero. Uh, as always, as has always been, you know, throughout, you know, the pandemic, the biggest risk is to people that, you know, have not been exposed previously and now, you know, have not been vaccinated. 
So I think the, you know, just to jump ahead, I mean, I think the most important thing people can do is to get vaccinated. And if they've already been vaccinated to get boosted because now boosters are available for all adults in the US. And that's, you know, you, that's a lot uh, in terms of, you know, making sure that you can be protected against this virus. Even if statistically you have a higher chance of getting sick, you should still, you know, we, sh we shouldn't be back to, uh, you know, the, the early surges in 2020 where the, we had no protection whatsoever. Well, here's another if, since we're playing with the ifs, because that's all we can do for the next couple of weeks. What if this can't actually outcompete Delta? Like, is South Africa dealing with Delta yep. the same way we are here? Because we've got Delta all over. So if this can't gain yes. a foothold here because Delta's everywhere, then we're kind of in the same place we're in um, last week. Yeah, I mean, that's another sort of if. But, you know, I think based on the, again, it's very limited, but the data that we have from South Africa does suggest that this virus may be able to outcompete Delta. So if that's the case, then we are going to see what we saw with Delta, which is that it's going to come in and do a sweep um, and essentially replace everything over a period of time. It's not going to happen instantaneously, um, but, you know, uh, or it's possible that we'll see co-circulation of these two viruses. So, you know, a, a, sort of either option and anything in between is possible, um, you know, but again, based on the data from South Africa, you know, it seems more likely than not that we are going to see some sort of selective replacement again. But but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Again, I, I you know, you, you asked about drugs, you know, this does make a lot of antibodies potentially at risk in terms of not being able to work because they are very sensitive to spike mutations depending on where they're located. Um, however, there are also now other drugs that we have um, that are not targeting the spike protein like molnupiravir and these should continue to work. Um, you know, so it's not that we don't have any, you know, even the worst case scenario, we would still have these drugs, small molecule drugs that don't target the spike protein and the goal then would be to try and scale these up. But of course, we now know that we can generate new versions of the vaccine quickly. So, you know, um, I, I believe the vaccine company is already gearing up to, you know. To well, do gener so, generating you know, them yeah. and getting people to take them, of course, has proven to be two different things, right? That's always the, that's, you know, so it's not really about what we have to offer, but whether people are willing to do it and, you know, Honestly, you know, the longer we go with large percentages of populations not being vaccinated, and, you know, we should note that most people who aren't vaccinated aren't vaccinated because they're not being offered, it's not available to them. It's, you know, it's not just vaccine refusal, but certainly that is something that's at play. And, you know, the longer we go, again, most of the people who get sick and die are people who haven't been vaccinated. Most of the people in which these, you know, viruses are replicating are people who haven't been vaccinated. And that's still a sizable, if not the majority of the world's population. So as long as that, and this is a global threat and these sorts of travel restrictions aren't really gonna do anything substantial to slow, you know, to really stop it. So our best hope is to get everybody, you know, as many people as we can vaccinate as quickly as possible. Dr. Kartik Chandran, virologist, microbiologist at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. The big question, whether Omicron can sneak past the vaccines. Now, that could create major problems. University of Minnesota epidemiologist Dr. Michael Osterholm talks with WCCO's Paul Douglas about what we know and what we don't about the vaccines and the importance of getting shots into arms in Africa and elsewhere. We know that there are millions of doses of vaccine that are in South Africa that have not been used over recent months, 
and it has to do with vaccine hesitancy, just as we see in this country. So converting a vaccine into a vaccination is not simple whether it's in the United States or whether it's in a lower middle income country. And we have to put much more emphasis on how are we going to help the population understand that this is their key out. This is this is the way that we can, in fact, uh, move beyond this pandemic eventually if we have enough people protected. And if that means getting boosters, so be it. But I think at this point, that's the challenge is we're going to hear a lot of rhetoric over the upcoming days about how we're not getting vaccine to low and middle income countries. Some of that is true. We have to take that to heart and do what we can to get it there. But some of it also is really helping these countries try to deal with the same challenges we're dealing with. How do you get people vaccinated? Well, I've been triple vaxxed, and I realize that doesn't make me bulletproof, but hopefully if and when I get this thing, it'll be it'll be mild symptoms. I won't suffer from long COVID and erectile dysfunction and all the other, the brain fog. I have enough brain fog without catching COVID, but I'm, I'm, what tangible advice would you have heading into the holiday season? It's Hanukkah, Christmas, 26 days away, uh, in terms of changes in behavior, changes in travel, what would you suggest to listeners uh, with Omicron in mind? Well, you know, you said something very important here just now in terms of looking at what we can get from boosters. And for the vast majority of people who have been fully vaccinated, who have boosters uh, recently, they do have a very high level of protection. The problem we have is that some people, even with the boosters, will only have limited protection. For example, our studies show that for those who are solid organ recipients, uh, people who have received donations of of kidneys and uh, other organs have only about a 50% protection against severe disease and death with this virus, which means that, you know, they can do everything possible in terms of vaccination, but it's still going to be important to protect them as a bubble of the people around them. So, uh, you know, and we have other what we call comorbidities, uh, conditions where, you know, the vaccine is not going to be as effective as it is for otherwise healthy individuals. So in those family settings, it's very reasonable for them to say, I only want people here who are fully vaccinated. I only want people here who are who have their boosters that are eligible to receive them because I'm trying to do an additional layer of protection beyond that of just the vaccine itself. And I think we have to honor those and we have to help support families do that, even when you have family members who you love, who you want to be with, who would insist they're never going to get vaccinated. Mike, are you doing okay? Yeah, you know, I uh, it's it's uh, you know it's a never-ending <laughs> uh, situation here. You know, some days I, I I'm not so sure that uh, you know my English Channel swimming days prepared me for this fully. You know, that was where you just kept going till you get out. Here, I don't know when you're going to get out or where. <laughs> yeah, well, there will be an end at some point. Yep. Uh, doc- Dr. Michael Osterholm, appreciate the update. Be safe. Thanks, out there. Paul. Take care. The U.S. and other countries have now banned travel from countries in southern Africa to stop Omicron from spreading, but is it too late? Yeah, what good will these restrictions actually do? Dr. Joshua Michel is Associate Director of Global Health Policy at the Kaiser Family Foundation. So, Doctor, does it make sense to have these travel restrictions from other countries, but, you know, still allow your own citizens to come back in if, if they just visited there? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's a there's a spectrum of different approaches to travel restrictions from an outright ban where you don't let anyone uh, come in from uh, the regions that you place the ban on 
that's the approach that some countries have taken, like Japan and Israel, in fact, uh, already uh, in in the face of this new Omicron variant. But uh, other approaches would be uh, selectively uh, picking some countries that where you don't want people to come in. Um, and then there's what the U.S. is doing, which is selectively picking a group of countries and then only uh, denying entry to uh, some of the people coming from those countries. So invariably, it's going to be less effective at stopping uh, the importation of a virus uh, that can be carried by anyone. And uh, so uh, there, whether you argue that it's uh, better to stop some cases uh, when it already might be circulating here in the U.S., or uh, whether it doesn't provide any benefit at all. I think people come down in different ways on that, but it's certainly not going to prevent the virus from coming here to the U.S. if it's not already here. Yeah, even the testing system we already have in place for coming back into the country that we mentioned three days before. Well, I could be negative three days before I leave and then get on the airplane and be walking around here two days later um, shedding virus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, And... The other thing is, you know, what's concerning in part about this new virus variant is that uh, it may evade some of the immunity that we have, even vaccine-induced immunity. I mean, we don't know yet, but if that's the case, then uh, you're having different rules for vaccinated versus unvaccinated travelers makes less sense. So it, it might be that a vaccinated traveler would be uh, perhaps a little bit more likely to carry this virus variant uh, compared to other variants in the past. So, so that differentiating by vaccine status might not be. But there's a lot more um, to learn on that front, but that's certainly a concern. So what should a country do? Uh, if you were in the uh, president's shoes right now in the White House, what would be the best course of action for this country? Well, there's got to be a balance struck between what is um, helpful in terms of public health and uh, what is too disruptive uh, in terms of international travel and trade. And uh, one of the problems that we're facing is that there are so many unknowns with this variant. We don't know what level of protection we should uh, be taking. Uh, Maybe it turns out that this is highly uh, uh, problematic in terms of its higher transmissibility and its uh, ability to evade immunity. And that would mean that greater restrictions might be asked for, but we, we don't know for sure. So there is some level of, well, let's take some precautions and hope they're having some effect here. I, I think that, uh, you know, given the situation that we have, it's likely that this variant is circulating in a lot of places. So um, the approach of increasing vaccinations, making sure everyone who is eligible to get a vaccine booster gets a booster, and increasing the other public health things that we already do to prevent transmission. So testing, uh, contact tracing, and uh, masking and reducing exposures is going to go a long way. It's going to go hand in hand with any travel restrictions that we put in place because one can't work without the other. Yeah, I mean, this should also be a sign that there should be way more plentiful testing than there is currently because we've had time to work on that and it's still not everywhere it needs to be. And then more sequencing, right? Because this this can't be viewed as like South Africa's fault. Maybe they just found it first. That's right. Yeah. And there's uh, 
a lot of countries every day now uh, announcing that they've identified cases many times, uh, cases that have had no travel history, which means that there's likely community transmission in a lot of places around the world right now. So having a geographically specific travel ban is making less and less sense over time. But uh, but yeah, having a genomic sequencing uh, is is critical here. And it's surprising in some uh, aspects that the U.S. hasn't identified a case already, but it's also because we don't uh, do the genomic testing to the extent that other countries do. Um, we test uh, or we do, we sequence under 4% of the samples that we could be sequencing. And, uh, and that's relatively yeah, but, low compared to other countries. Yeah. And you're right. But why don't we, I mean, we've spent so much money, you know, we keep reading about the billions and billions and billions that the federal government has distributed uh, because of the pandemic. And a lot of that money going toward things like testing and, and tracing and things like that. Why aren't we uh, at a level that, that the UK is at, that South Africa is at? Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot, a lot of reasons, uh, a complicated patchwork of states and local jurisdictions which are in charge a lot of this, uh, whereas the UK government is, it has a more centralized approach to this, so they can, it's easier for them to implement, um, uh, you know, something that is consistent across the entire geography of the country. Um, but yeah, we've uh, fallen down again and again on um, some of the basics here. So we don't have access to cheap uh, rapid tests that people can take at home, whereas in the UK, people get those for free and can test all the time. Uh, and uh, we don't have the genetic sequencing uh, that we would like to have. Um, it's been ramping up. You know, there, it, the money has gone to increase the, the percent because we were under 1% of uh, samples that were sequenced uh, you know, months ago. Uh, so it's improving, but it's improving much too slowly given this pace of the variants. Dr. Joshua Michel, Associate Director, Global Health Policy at the Kaiser Family Foundation. Coming up after a short break, can Omicron defeat the latest COVID treatments? Merck and Pfizer hoping for approval of their COVID treatment pills soon. The goal is to save lives and keep people out of hospitals. But will those treatments work against Omicron? Dr. David Bulware is an infectious disease physician and scientist at the University of Minnesota Medical School. He's been working on his own clinical trials of potential COVID treatments. So, doctor, let's start with what we have, and then we'll get to the pills that are on the way. Uh, these antibody treatments, are they going to have to be adjusted if they end up not working as well? That certainly could be a possibility. That um, Fortunately, most of the monoclonal antibody therapies do have two antibodies targeted towards different parts of, of the spike protein. And so if there's a mutation against just one, hopefully the other antibody will still work. Let me ask you also about the the uh, pills that, that we mentioned in the lead-in, because one of the, the stories that got a little bit buried on Friday, because of Thanksgiving, frankly, and also because of the news about this variant, was that uh, Merck uh, announced that after uh, looking over a larger sample, I believe, of, of uh, people who participated in a trial of its pill, the efficacy that was touted in a press release weeks earlier being, I think, 50 percent in keeping people out of the hospital or, or getting severe disease was down to about 30 percent, if I'm correct in, in the way I'm remembering that. Um, so are hopes dimming for that? And what about the Pfizer pill that also, according to Pfizer's press release, was up at, I think, better than 90 percent efficacy? Yeah, I think oftentimes when any clinical trial for any condition stops early, oftentimes it overestimates the effect because like, boom, good news travels fast. And that with a little bit more data, some, sometimes things come back towards, towards kind of the actual effect. And so for 
for Merck, you know, it was a relatively sizable study. It was 775 people at time when they stopped the trial at the interim analysis. But now they've got data on about twice that of about 1,400 people. And so yeah, things have come down a little bit back towards probably what the actual effect is. And it's still a 30%, 30% effect, which is pretty good compared to nothing. I mean, if your comparison is, is nothing that works, 30% is, is better than that. So with those pills and with Omicron, would we expect the mechanism, the process to still work? Is it far enough upstream in terms of stopping the replication that it doesn't matter what kind of variant it is? Correct. And so that's that's totally correct. And so um, this is really, you know, working on the, the replication of the RNA of the virus. And so it's very much upstream to any mutations in the shape of the spike protein. And so all these would, would still be effective, both the Merck drug as well as the Pfizer drug would still be very effective regardless of any variant. So is is that uh, in an odd sort of way? I mean, I'm, I know all along all the experts have said, and I'm sure they're right, that it's much more important that people get vaccinated and, and the therapeutics will be nice to have. But but make sure you get vaccinated. But as these variants and I suspect this is not going to be the last one come, you know, rolling off from wherever they're rolling off from. Will these therapeutics become increasingly more important to have? I think both are both are important um, that um, obviously vaccination reduces your risk of getting infected in the first place. And so that's the first step. And then it's nice to have these other, you know, second step, these other backup plans that if, if you know, you get sick, you, you have some possible therapy available. And so I think both of them is, uh, both of them are very effective and both of them are very important. Have we ordered enough? Do we have the manufacturing capabilities to make enough if we're really going to need a lot of these, worst come to worst? I think that's a great question. I think, unfortunately, the winter is going to be really kind of rough. And, and winter in Southern California may be different than winter in Minnesota. But, um, you know, that, you know, talking about production of 50 million, you know, dose, you know, doses next year in 2020, um, what does that mean in the next month or next two months? And so, unfortunately, these are not going to be available immediately. And so production will scale up, but I think that if someone's going to say, oh, well, I'll just wait till this treatment that's going to be available next, next month, um, that's, that's probably an unrealistic expectation. Let me ask you the question that I usually ask my own doctor about, you know, some medical finding, and I'll say, well, what's your level of concern uh, as an expert, and what should my level of concern as a patient be? So let me ask you that about this variant. What's your level of concern as an expert, and what level of concern should all of our listeners have as patients, potentially? Well, this new Omicron variant, I think that, first of all, people have realized that Omicron is a uh, uh, a letter in the Greek alphabet. And so that may be the most concerning <laughs> that people didn't know. But I think the second thing is we don't really know much about this. And so this has been, this is spread in South Africa, primarily among young people. And so is it more contagious? We don't really know. The concern is that it did spread in a population that was presumed to have a lot of prior infection. And so for a lot of prior natural immunity. And so we've heard about how natural immunity is generally protective, which it, it likely is against severe disease. But in the population that spread around Johannesburg, the concern is that, that people still got infected with this virus, even though it, it had prior infection. And so that's a little bit concerning. And how does that relate to vaccination? And, and people may be less protective of that with vaccination. The booster will certainly help that, um, certainly. Um, and that's very clear. But um, it's a little bit concerning. 
even if we don't have major changes because of Omicron, if we go back to, to winter, which you mentioned a minute ago, I mean, we still have to contend with Delta. So it's it's probably going to be a messy winter no matter what happens. Correct. And I think that's the, the key thing. You know, we've got, you know, 900,000 or 800,000 cases of, of um, not, or sorry, 90,000 cases of, of, of Delta, you know, currently in the U.S. And so if we have one or two, you know, infections with Omicron, the major problem is still the current the current uh, Delta variant. And so I don't think people need to, to, to worry too much because the concern is still just the, the ongoing uh, Delta um, infections are across the world. Dr. David Bulware, infectious disease physician, scientist, University of Minnesota Medical School. Doctor, thanks. So uh, having talked about these pills, uh, Pfizer's CEO says he has a very high level of confidence that his company's COVID-19 treatment pills are effective against the Omicron variant. He tells CNBC the company could commit to delivering 80 million courses of the COVID-19 treatment. The company requested emergency use authorization earlier this month. And he says there are many unknowns about the variant, but says the treatment pills were designed in anticipation of future possible mutations. This is an Odyssey original. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.